want to begin by doing a shout out to all of our campuses today. We actually have 12 campuses now. I remember the very first campus other than the original campus where we're attending today was our campus that we started at the Dawson State Prison. And for over a decade, we had a great campus there and had a lot of people who came to faith and grew in their faith. Many of them, when they got out of prison, would come and become members of our, one of our other local campuses. About uh, three years ago, though, the state of Texas closed that prison, and we lost that campus. Uh, not all of those relationships, many of them continue to this day. But I want to welcome our 12th campus that has just recently started down in Venus, Texas, at a prison there, which is called the Estes Unit. Would you welcome our friends, our brothers in Christ at the Venus campus? Glad that you guys are with us today. And all of our campuses, we've been studying together uh, in a series called The Nine. And it's about the nine virtues that God wants to create in us. You know, when we get saved, we not only get saved from something, we also get saved to something. We're saved from our sin, but we're saved to a lifestyle of becoming more like Jesus Christ. And when you look at those nine virtues or those nine character traits, they really are about the character of Jesus Christ. And from the time you're saved until the time we go home to be with God in heaven one day, he's changing us to make us more like Jesus. Uh, one of the things that we've done to help uh, start some conversations around these nine topics is we provided a free kit for you. Most of you have already picked one up, but if you haven't, uh, pick one up at any one of your campuses. If you're joining us online right now, you can also find out information about how you can get the same exact materials and, and the purpose of this is to get you to talk with your family to get you to talk with your friends to have conversations about those nine virtues now today we're talking about the virtue of kindness that God wants to create in us if you have a Bible I invite you to turn with me to Micah the sixth chapter verse 8 if not you can look there on the back of your worship guide today and you can read along with us in Micah 6 to 8 he says he has told you O man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, that's an interesting phrase there. It says that we're to love kindness, not just to acknowledge kindness or think well of kindness. We're actually to make a commitment to kindness. We're to lean into kindness. You also have listed there for you a scripture that comes from Colossians, the third chapter, and Paul the Apostle is writing when he writes, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love the way he says that. He says to put it on as if it's a, a piece of clothing that we put on in the morning that we're to put on kindness. Now all of us, when we get dressed in the morning, we have to make some choices I usually either look at my iPhone to see what the weather is going to be that day, or uh, if I wake up before Marsha, I get outside and I go out to get the newspaper, and I actually kind of make a decision while I'm out there about what I'm going to put on. But there's one choice I don't have to worry about, and that's my socks. Because about 15 years ago, what I did is I threw away all my socks, and I went to an outlet mall, and I bought a dozen white socks. That's them. It's the new black, all right? <laughs> and so if the dryer eats up one of my socks, it's no worry because I got lots of matches because they're all the same socks. I don't have to make a decision about the socks I'm going to wear. I can get dressed in the dark pretty much 
because I just reach in the drawer. It doesn't matter what's in there. That's the one that I'm wearing. And then every summer when I go on vacation, I stop by the same outlet mall and I get another dozen brand new white socks. Now, what he's saying here is when you get up in the morning, there's one choice you don't have to make as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're to put on kindness. That's to be the attitude that you choose to wear every day. It doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter if it's a formal occasion or if it's a casual occasion. Yes, I do keep one black pair of socks for funerals and weddings, just one pair. <laughs> but when it comes to kindness, it's always in. It's always in style if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to put on kindness? What is this kindness that God wants to create in all of us? First of all, kindness is about being aware. You see, the first step to being kind to someone is to see someone. The Bible tells us in uh, Mark, the eighth chapter, that Jesus healed a man who was blind and that he touched his eyes and then he got a report back from him about what had happened to his sight. And he says, well, you know, I'm seeing images, but it looks like trees that are walking around. And Jesus touched his eyes a second time and then all of a sudden he could clearly see people. He could see faces. He could look into their eyes. Some of us need a second touch from Jesus Christ. We need to be touched so that we notice the people who are around us every single day who need a touch of kindness, who need an encouraging word, who need forgiveness, who need some of our financial resources or the influence which we have that we can bring to bear on their situation. It begins by seeing. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan in answer to the question, who is my neighbor, you remember as he told the story, he talked about that Samaritan who walked by the road and it says that he looked over and he saw the man who had fell among the thieves. That's where it begins, friends. We have to see people that we're not seeing. Kindness begins with being aware. Uh, this last week I talked to a member of our church and she told me about her nine-year-old son who came home from school the day before. And when he came home, he said, Mom, there's a young man in our school who cannot pay for his own lunch. And he told his mom, he said, God told me we need to be buying his lunch every day. And I told her, I said, you know, when you're a young follower of Christ, sometimes you don't have the filters yet to be judgmental. You don't have the excuses built up yet not to listen to Christ. It is only as we get older sometimes as believers that we get spiritual cataracts. And things that once were so clear to us when we saw a need become fuzzy. Kindness begins with being available. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Philippians 2.4. It says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also look out for the interests of others. Kindness is being aware. Kindness is also about availability. The greatest enemy to kindness is not cruelty, it's busyness. When Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan, you remember the first two people who passed by, they were so busy, they were in a hurry, they had things to do. And because of that, they did not stop and help the man who fell among the thieves. Presence is perhaps the most profound expression of kindness. Presence sometimes is just holding the hand of a grieving person and not try to give answers or hasty platitudes but just to give the ministry a presence, to say I'm there. A kindness sometimes is not only going by the orphanage and providing those 
gingerbread kits, but taking the time to stick around and help the kids put them together and get your hands sticky. Kindness is resisting the temptation to look at your watch when that lonely person rambles on and on about what seems to be nothing. When what's really going on is that they're, for the very first time that week, they're having someone express to them their love language, which is undivided attention. And the content of what they're saying is not really what's important. The attention that they desperately need. Sometimes, to be kind, we have to stop worshiping at the altar of multitasking. We have to realize that pushing the pause button is not to be unproductive, but perhaps to be the most productive we've been all day long. God calls us to be present. That's what the incarnation means, that the God of the universe became present in a time and in a place. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was walking through a crowd of people one day and people were pushing him this way and that and he stopped and he asked this question. He said, who touched me? And his disciples were kind of confused. They said, Lord, everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? He said, no, someone touched me. And he turned back and there was a lady who had literally crawled through the crowd because of her sickness. And she had just barely touched the hem of his garment, but he was so aware and he was so sensitive that he realized that that event had taken place and he stopped and he turned around and there was no longer a crowd. It was just Jesus and that woman. And he listened to her journey. He listened to her pain. He solved her problem that day. He was fully present. And sometimes that's what kindness means. It means just to be there to slow down enough to be there. It is about being aware, it's about being available, but it's also sometimes about being honest without being brutal. Sometimes kindness is about being candid. In Proverbs 27, six, it says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, what that scripture is saying, if I could just paraphrase, it says, we need somebody in our life to tell us when our pants are unzipped. (laughs) When there is spinach in our teeth or when there is a booger dangling from our nose. (laughs) My, that may have been worth the trip right there. (laughs) In Ephesians 4, 15, it says that we need to learn to speak the truth with love. Sometimes love is telling someone that they're not in the right job, that they're not the right fit. To do it in a gentle way, in an affirming way, but help them in the process of finding the job where they can be productive and they are a fit because everyone's good at something. In our polarized society, though, it's tough to speak the truth and do it in love. Many times we're pulled to two extremes. We're pulled to an extreme of aggression, and aggression has a hard center of conviction, but it also has hard edges, and it makes it hard for people to hear. And then on the other extreme, there's this thing called niceness. And niceness has soft edges, but it also has a spongy, soft center. Kindness believes right there in the middle, that you can have hard convictions, you can have a firm center of conviction, while the soft edges of expression 
allows you to share that in a way that's not harmful with someone else. Kindness believes that conviction can have meaning without being mean. Kindness believes that we can tone down the volume and we can cease all the saber rattling and still be heard, perhaps be heard better. It is kindness that chooses to reject the isolationism that many times is associated with fundamentalism and instead enter into a civil conversation to enhance our understanding of what the other person believes and what they're going through. Listening is a form of kindness. Don't believe the lie that listening is a slippery slope. One example that I thought about this week is all of the issues around the LGBT uh, fight that's been going on. And many times I think that as Christians, our fear leads us quickly to anger, which is not the right response. And to a large extent, we've lost the debate, not because of the lack of merit of our position, but rather because of our lack of civility. It's time, I believe, for followers of Jesus Christ on any issue to rediscover the power of kindness. And Jesus is our example. Jesus was not afraid that he was compromising his convictions when he knelt down to the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Remember what he said? He said, where are those who accuse you? And he, she said, there are none. He said, neither do I condemn you. But you notice that he didn't go soft on his conviction. He looked at her and he said, go and sin no more. He was able to separate that woman from her deed and he was able to identify with her and to deal with her in a gentle way and not worry about compromising his deeply held belief. When Jesus went to have lunch with Zacchaeus, the cheat, the, the one who'd stolen money from everyone in town, he was not worried about his reputation or that somehow he was endorsing that kind of behavior. And as a result, Zacchaeus gave half of his money to the poor and he gave back four times anybody he had cheated. Jesus declared that salvation had come to his house. When Jesus went to have lunch with Zacchaeus, you remember what they said? They said, look, at Jesus, he's going to eat with a man who's a sinner. That's exactly right. That's what he came to earth to do. If Jesus hadn't eaten with sinners, he would have starved to death before he went to the cross. Because we're all sinners. Some of us just hide it better than others. And we need to be kind to other sinners. We don't need to endorse or agree with them in order to be civil and to be kind to them. Jesus was at a dinner and he was reclining there at the dinner and a woman came in to anoint his feet with oil and she was overwhelmed at the fact that Jesus would allow her to do that, that she began to anoint his feet with her tears. And the host of that particular dinner party looked over at Jesus and he thought, does Jesus not know what kind of woman is touching his feet? How could he allow himself to be associated with that kind of lifestyle? Jesus knew exactly who this woman was. And he reminded everyone at that dinner that night that those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick, and we're all sick. T to be uh, a kind is to speak the truth, but to speak truth with love. 
Kindness means that we can love others even if we do not affirm their decisions. The Bible tells us that Jesus came and when Jesus came, he was full of grace and he was full of truth. It didn't say half grace, half truth. And the fact that he was full of grace did not compromise the fact that he was full of truth and the fact that he was full of truth did not compromise or demand that he not be full of grace. Grace is the soft edge. Truth is the firm center. That means that if we're going to be kind, that we have to extend that kindness not only to our colleague, but also to our enemy. We must, to be true and be followers of Jesus Christ, extend it not only to our neighbor, but also to the stranger. We must extend kindness not only to those who are persecuted, but even to the one who persecutes. In Romans, the second chapter, it says this. It says in verse 4 that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Earlier in the service, we broke the bread and we took the cup and we remembered the kindness of God. It was his kindness that drew us to him. And here's the truth. It is the kindness of God through you and through me, through your family and mine, that's going to draw those who hate us the most who disagree with us the deepest. Not our wrath and not our rhetoric. In 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 an age when nastiness and meanness is being elevated temporarily, Christians who are kind will shine brighter in that darkness. You see, kindness is to be aware. Kindness is to be available. Kindness is to be honest and truthful without being brutal. But most of all, kindness is costly. I'm always uh, amazed at the the whole Starbucks phenomenon. It's not supposed to work. You're not supposed to pay that much for coffee, all right? But it does work somehow. And, And they say the reason it works is because it is an affordable luxury. It's something that you can buy and, and kind of treat yourself. And you know what? You survive the price. It's not that much. I think kindness most of the time is like that. It's an affordable luxury. You think about what God has given us in Christ Jesus and the very little that it cost us most of the time to be kind. Sometimes it's putting a five or a $10 bill on a counter to a maid who's a single mom who's working hard. You've got to respect that. And just that little encouragement or to add 5% to your tip beyond what really is even expected. For someone who waits tables, that's one of the hardest jobs that I know about. And most people don't affirm very much but complain about. Uh, My wife is my hero when it comes to kindness. God just wired her in such a way that uh, that fruit has flourished more in her life than it has in mine. Uh, She has uh, kindness bags or mercy bags. I forget what she calls them, but they're for the homeless. She puts food in there. She puts water in there. She puts a copy of God's Word in there. She also puts socks that she gets from the same place that I get my socks. I'm wearing socks that are in the homeless all across the Metroplex are wearing them. Uh, She likes to carry around Starbucks cards to uh, give away to people that she just sees that need encouragement or somebody that that, that they've encouraged her. She sent me to Starbucks the other day, and I was standing in line. I was buying uh, some hot tea and also buying uh, about a dozen cards so she could restock her purse. 
And the person behind me reached around when I got ready to pay and said, here, pastor, I want to pay for that. And I said, oh, wait a minute. It's not just the tea, it's gift certificates as well. And the lady said, I know, I heard. And she said, one thing I've learned is that when God tells me to do something, I need to say yes. That's kindness. And that's a kindness that is contagious. As God has been kind to us, it's so easy for us to do the little things that make the big difference. Most of the time it doesn't cost. Sometimes it does cost a little bit more than a cup of tea. Sometimes it's a dozen gift certificates. Sometimes it's like the Argentina uh, uh, golfer who didn't win the top of the tournament, but he plays pretty high, and he came off the golf course, and he met a lady in the parking lot who told him that she had lost a child that week and she had all these doctor bills to pay and other children at home who didn't have anything to eat and he turned his check over and he endorsed it over to this woman the next day somebody came up to him and they confronted him and they said you know that woman that you wrote your check to she was a fraud you've been scammed he said really he smiled real big. He said, are you telling me that no child died last week? He said, that's the best news I've heard all year. Depends on how you look at it. Do you take the risk of somebody taking advantage of you? Sure you do. But there's a greater risk. The greater risk is that you would pass over a dozen people who just need a word of kindness, who just need some financial help, who just need for you to use your influence or your skill or ability to bless their lives in a way that will change their life forever. You know, it was interesting in the early days of Christianity, the Romans got confused. You see, the word for Christ in the Greek is Christo, Christos, rather. The word for kindness is Christos. And at first, the Romans thought that these were followers of the kind man. I hope that you and I would live in such a way that we would confuse other people as well. That when they see our lives, the first thing they would think is, oh, they're the follower of the kind man. You can tell who they're following because of the way they treat other people, the way they speak to other people the way they give and because of their generosity. May we confuse other people like the Romans were confused. Here's my question. If you were to interview the common man on the street today and you would say, what do you first think of when you hear the word Christian? What would you think that they might answer? That's right. There's an indictment against us today because people know more about what we're against than what we're for. When I was in the fifth grade, Actually, it was when I was in the fourth grade, they gave us a test, and I began to fill in those little grids, those little circles, and I accidentally filled out it wrong, and the results was that I was going to be moved from my normal class into a high academic class. <laughs> and I was told that after four years of being with my buddies, with my friends, that I was going to be moved with some kids that I didn't know anything about, and they were very smart kids. And I remember that particular day getting ready for that very first day of school in the fifth grade and I changed clothes a lot of times that day. And it didn't matter what color of socks that I was wearing because I was uncomfortable. In fact, I can literally remember walking to Nathaniel Hawthorne Elementary School and not being able to get the cadence of my walking down correctly. And sure enough, when I got to the classroom, I was placed on the front row in the middle seat 
And I was so afraid that I would embarrass myself. And sure enough, Mr. Davis asked a question. And when I gave my answer, everyone in the, la- in the class giggled. And I was dying that day. As only a fifth grader could die. And at the end of that class, a girl who was sitting behind me that I will never forget, her name was Glenda Sturgis, reached over and put her hand on my shoulder and she said these words. She said, Steve, are you okay? And I lied and I told her I was. But do you know that's all I needed? All I needed to know was that there was one person in this whole world that knew that I was going through what I was going through and cared. And that was enough to get me through that day. That was enough to really get me on my way through that year And because of my grades, I was put back with my normal friends (laughs) the next year. But I'll never forget that sensitive, kind hand on my shoulder. Glenda was a follower of Jesus Christ, and I believe that she knew that I needed that encouragement because Jesus told her. And that she was aware that day, and instead of hurrying off to her class or hurrying off to be with her friends, she was available that day. And she spoke kind words to me, encouraging words to me. Uh, She still follows Jesus Christ. In fact, she plays piano at her church. Her last name is different today. But she probably has no idea the difference that that made. And most of the time, that's what it's all about. It's not about us getting credit. It's not about us getting feedback. It's about us being the hands, the feet of Christ, the kind one who has poured out his kindness on us. Let's thank him for that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness. We recommit ourselves today as your followers to every morning to put on the attitude of kindness to slow down enough that we can notice when there are people around us every single day who need the kindness that you have already formed in us. Help us, dear Father, not to look at price tags, but look at people, and to be kind and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.